Today's episode of the Watson Weekly Podcast is sponsored by Commerce Tools. The world of commerce is fast-paced and constantly changing. Commerce Tools, the global leader in commerce and creator of the powerfully composable mock architecture, enables commerce leaders to turn possibilities into reality. Commerce Tools helps businesses go from underperforming to overachieving, and from keeping up to setting the pace, all at a lower total cost. Go to commercetools.com to learn how to get started. It's July 24th, 2023, and this is the Watson Weekly, your essential e-commerce digest. Today on our show, Google kills Google Shopping, 2023 halfway update on venture capital and markets, rumors of Shopify investing in FAIR, Amazon Prime Day recap, and finally, the Investor Minute, which contains six items this week from the world of venture capital, acquisitions, and IPOs. But first, in our shopping cart full of news, Google kills Google Shopping. It looks like Google has finally admitted the inevitable. The goal of Google is to get you off of Google and not to get you to transact on Google. The whole idea of Google Shopping as a marketplace never really worked too well. First, any ads-based platform has the same problem with retail as everyone. It's a low-margin business. While retail companies can add advertising and greatly expand their margins, advertising companies have a hard time dedicating resources in real estate to inventory that could be better monetized through high-margin ads. Social media has it slightly better than search engines. At least you stay on a social media site. Most people spend their days there. Despite your search intent, your behavioral intent on Google is to go somewhere else. Virtually every experiment to keep visitors on Google longer has failed. Perhaps except for Gmail, which was an innovation, and phones, which were an acquisition. Google has had a rough history with shopping. In 2006, Google launched a Google checkout service, which has allowed merchants to pay with Google on their website with the hook that advertisers would get a Google checkout badge in their search ads. That didn't work. Integrating with websites took a lot of work, and even back then, consumers had PayPal. Google launched Google Shopping Express, which is later termed Google Express in 2013, a marketplace that keeps consumers on Google. That didn't work either, even if it tried to sign up retail partners. Google Shopping Marketplace was a big focus of the previous president of e-commerce, Bill Reedy, at Google, even looking to drop commission fees to zero. That didn't work either. And now the last vestiges of that program are finally dead. And good riddance, I don't expect it to return soon. Anyone who's run a website for more than five minutes understands that the source of traffic matters. If a visitor comes to your website from Pinterest, it's different from someone who comes to you from a Google ad versus someone who comes to you from a lower funnel organic blog article. That brings me to the main point of people building marketplaces who have traffic. Intent matters. No amount of AI, personalization, or incentives can help the visitor in that session. What should you do instead? Cater to the needs of that visit. Build trust for that visitor with proven products. Build more direct usage instead the same way Amazon did, by leveraging your repeat customers and gradually broaden their purchase history. The challenge with building any marketplace is not the technology. Thanks to the hard work of people like Miracle and others, anyone can buy marketplace technology. The more complex parts are being relevant to your buyers, achieving the goals of your suppliers, and keeping products and delivery quality high. 
Also, you need to merchandise your products well in a coherent way. Our second story, 2023 halfway update on venture capital and markets. Now that we're halfway through the year, I thought I would give you a brief update on what's going on in the world of venture capital from recent sources in TechCrunch and the Wall Street Journal. WSJ reports that many of the major venture capital players out there are either scaling back the size of their venture funds or shutting down certain funds. Famously, SoftBank started its Vision Fund in 2017, which after it took profits from Alibaba, has been losing money the past few years and writing down losses. Other venture capitalists are telling a similar story. The famous startup accelerator Y Combinator eliminated its $3 billion growth investment arm called Continuity, which was meant to provide follow-on capital to its companies. I guess there's not going to be any continuity anymore. The Y Combinator Continuity Fund had started in 2015 and invested $1.5 billion of the original $3 billion through the end of 2022. Y Combinator closed that continuity fund in the last few months. Another famous venture capital firm, Sequoia, has downsized its business and says it's perhaps the understatement of the century that a few marginal investments snuck in over the past few years. You think? TechCrunch also provides some interesting statistics on the state of venture capital, stating the North American startup funding fell across all stages in Q2 of this year. The funding decline is not just in terms of dollars. There are fewer deals getting done as well in the first half of the year. The most pronounced declines in funding are in Series C and later, which will likely have the effect of these firms looking for the public markets, especially as the economic outlook for a soft landing seems to be looking more positive in the last couple of months. Seed and early stage startups experience smaller declines, which is a good thing generally because seed investments have been up in the past few years. A modest decline isn't so bad for these early stage firms. Overall, if you look at investments in the last quarter compared to the peak of the pandemic Q4 2021, they're about one-third of their previous amounts. Ironically, these numbers are somewhat good news for the market going forward. Everyone is now convinced Fed Chairman Jay Powell now knows what he's doing with the economy after calling him an idiot the past 12 months, and the economic outlook going forward looks incrementally better in the next six months than it has in the last six months. Combined with the fact that early-stage investments look pretty robust, and more e-commerce IPOs will happen in the next 12 months, things could turn rosy pretty quickly. If you were on the sidelines in the first half of the year, I would not have the same hesitation in the second half. While we aren't back to boom times, I think the appropriate analogy is that this is the time for the turtle to start peeking its head out of its shell. Our third story, rumors of Shopify investing in FAIR. Shopify continues to lean forward into venture capital as news reports have Shopify having talks with FAIR. It's unclear if these talks are ongoing or what, but the thought exercise on what it might mean is interesting. Here's where a Shopify investment in FAIR would align. FAIR is about giving small brands access to small independent retailers, very aligned with Shopify's mission of supporting entrepreneurs. FAIR's valuation, which is a Series G in 2022 as an extension, by the way, I didn't know rounds went up to Series G, and this was during the boom times they raised $1.4 billion over the last several years. It's certainly a challenge, and Shopify could likely pick it up for much less than FAIR has raised if it were willing to play hardball on the valuation. Of course, this is unlike what happened on Flexport, at least from my own calculations. While there is an integration between Shopify and FAIR today, this would ensure that one continued and could perhaps lock out other platforms that had interest. A wholesale marketplace is another business model, of course, 
It's a matchmaker between retailers and brands. An outright acquisition feels like a stretch, but I don't mind the idea of an investment if it were properly valued. The big challenge? It's still unclear if FAIR is a sustainable enterprise. More on this in a moment. Of course, there is a history between Shopify and the wholesale marketplace market. The last time Shopify took a crack at the wholesale market, Shopify quietly acquired a company called Handshake in 2019. At the time, it was rumored they would re-release into a big splash on the Shopify platform. Many kept waiting for a massive relaunch, but it never seemed to materialize and seemed to be constantly tucked in the background. Shopify did get a VP of product out of it, Glenn Coates, and oh yeah, a new New York City office space. While Handshake was a startup, at this point, FAIR is definitely not. The company has raised over $1.4 billion and is estimated to have revenues in the mid-hundreds of millions range. Of course, this is not released, but this is a Google whispers. In fact, the company raised a Series G extension of $400 million in May of 2022. I read an article that said they had over 1,100 people at this point, and despite the recent layoffs, which would put their burn by my calculations somewhere just south of $200 million a year. Any of these numbers on their own would put the company in a danger zone. Many brands I speak with say that while FAIR is a monster in terms of volume, it is also quite expensive, taking 25% of the first sale and 15% of subsequent sales. Meaning, it's great to introduce you to people and give the brand a first break, but you don't want to stay there indefinitely. Still, at the right valuation, this would seem to have at least some proper philosophical alignment with Shopify. And our last story, Amazon Prime Day recap. Well, Amazon Prime Day is finished, and I thought it would provide a kind of meta-analysis of the number of people I trust in the space, including Amazon, CNBC, Martin Hoibel, Margot Logan, and John Shea. As far as the official statistics from Amazon, they announced that the first day of Amazon Prime was the single biggest day in the company's history, where 375 million items were sold as opposed to 300 million items the previous year. Home goods, fashion, and beauty were the top categories on the day. Below all these categories is electronics, which is usually a bigger headline category on Amazon. Seeing fashion and beauty so high at Amazon is quite a powerful statement for the firm, which had long history of trying to penetrate these categories. This tells you at least some of the low end of the market, it appears to be working. Andrew Jonas reported that 52% of consumers waited until Prime Day to purchase an item they had wanted on discount, which indicates that many people are starting to view this as a regular event, kind of like a Black Friday. In most cases, this isn't incremental spend for a consumer. It's something they were looking to buy anyway, and so why not get it at a discount? Margot Logan from Publicis published a report saying that more than half of the items sold on Prime Day were below $20, which I'm not sure is such a great number if you're a brand, kind of tells you state of things on Amazon today. Even despite this low average order value, buy now, pay later using Amazon's preferred provider Affirm were 6.5% of orders during Prime Day up 20% year-over-year. John Shea, CEO of Momentum Commerce, reported a few interesting stats on the day as well, including 18% of products and search results were in discount this year compared to only 14% last year. The price discounts were deeper, and brands spent an average of 14% of their revenue to pro- promote products on Prime Day. By all accounts, I've read Amazon Prime Day was a big success for Amazon just from the fact that I didn't read any reports saying it was a huge disappointment. Even though merchants had to discount more to get sales, sales definitely did follow. This kind of behavior does seem to follow general consumer behavior in certain categories right now. You can get them in the door, but they're looking for bargains. It seems like at least this time, consumers walked away satisfied for what they found. 
Hey, Watsonians, this is Rick. If you haven't joined other listeners in our online community, you're only getting half the value from this podcast. Our community contains members from all around the world discussing the most interesting topics we cover on the show. You can join the conversation now at community.rmwcommerce.com today. Now a word from our sponsor, Commerce Tools. When a multi-billion dollar beauty brand's e-commerce platform neared the end of its life, the entire business was at risk, including the ability to serve customers. By switching to Commerce Tools, embracing a more flexible mock architecture, the retailer's vision for connecting in-store and personalized shopping experiences became a reality. The brand can now roll out new features within days, securing its position as a modern brand that uses technology to its advantage. If you're being held hostage by your technology platform and your developers have thrown up their hands, tell them to start a free trial at commercetools.com today. It's that time, friends, for our Investor Minute. We have six items on the menu today. First, licensing firm Authentic Brands Group raises $500 million. Just when you thought companies weren't raising big rounds, IP licensing firm Authentic Brands Group has raised a new round of funding from General Atlantic. If you're wondering what an IP licensing firm is, they own the intellectual property of a brand, which gives them the right to resell the rights to the name of a brand, create line extensions and new categories, or license it to be operated internationally. The new $500 million fundraising round values the firm at $20 billion. Second, Gather AI acquires Wear in merger of warehouse drone vendors. Gather AI allows you to use autonomous drones to get a real-time picture of your warehouse inventory. The release from the company says it will create the largest player in the space with over 25 customers. Wear AI was originally a spinoff of Carnegie Mellon University, known for its robotics expertise. Third, food giant Mars acquires Kevin's Natural Foods for $800 million. This is a great exit for Kevin's Natural Foods, which provides ready-to-eat type of meals that are easy to prepare in your kitchen. It appears that the brand will continue to operate relatively independently under the new Mars leadership. Fourth, fabricated equipment parts procurement provider Caddy raises Series C funding. Caddy, or C-A-D-D-I, is a six-year-old provider that offers procurement parts platform as well as a place to store drawing data. This round was led by existing investors like Globus Capital Partners. The company plans to expand to over 100 employees in the U.S. and build towards a goal of $10 billion in revenue by 2030. Fifth, buy now, pay later provider or firm shuts down returnally and partners with Loop Returns. A lot going on in this one, and it's caused ripples in the e-commerce returns market. You might recall that back in April 2021, a firm acquired returnally for approximately $300 million. I always thought this was an odd fit, except for the fact that returnally was basically a payments tech business which offers instant credit to shoppers at the time of a return in order to facilitate an exchange. It turns out that didn't work out too well for them, and their firm is shutting down Returnally by October, which is pretty soon in e-commerce terms. No doubt Returnally's 1,500 merchants weren't planning on switching returns providers in time for the holiday, but I guess your roadmap just changed, folks. As part of a new agreement with Loop Returns, which becomes the preferred returns provider for all these merchants. And finally... Israeli-based beauty and cosmetics manufacturer Oddity Tech launches IPO. While you may not have heard of Oddity Tech, it could signal a shift in the market as to how consumer products companies are developed. Oddity uses AI to develop new cosmetics under brands like Spoiled Child and Il Maquillage. The company may be onto something as it's already up 30% in its initial debut. 
Data and technology is core to the brand, but obviously the success will depend on distribution and marketing, so we'll see how it works out in the long term. Is this one of the first high growth and profitable direct-to-consumer brands? Just saying. That's all for this week. Till next time, Watsonians. Hi, I'm Rick Watson, CEO and founder of RMW Commerce Consulting and host of the Watson Weekly Podcast, your essential e-commerce digest. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. The show is produced by Jose Baez, production manager, Gabriela Montequin. To hear new episodes of the show every Monday morning, subscribe now at rmwcommerce.com slash Watson Weekly and wherever you get your podcasts.